the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. We have a natural tendency as human beings, and the natural tendency is to turn lots of things into rituals or formulas or simply habits. Sadly, there are a lot of people that will go to church this weekend, and they will go to church not to have a relationship or an interaction with God, because it's just the habit. It's the ritual. They go through the ritual, and they go through the habit, and they do what they do every weekend, and, 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 and that's wonderful. It's great to have a good habit, but that alone is not enough. Most people live, we kind of move our lives toward habits, habit patterns, and it loses meaning. It becomes just a ritual of what we do and truly is in the realm of worship oftentimes. And one of the dangers of worship is that we can allow it to become this rote, ritualistic kind of formula that takes us out of this true interaction with God. And when you think about Jesus' ministry on earth, Oftentimes, his harshest ministry, his harshest words were reserved for people who were worshiping God this way. They, they were going through the outward rituals. They were showing up at the synagogue uh, every, every Sabbath day, and they were following all the laws, and they were doing all the right things, if you will, and they were a group of people called the Pharisees. Anybody remember the Pharisees in the New Testament? And you know that Jesus' harshest words, these were the people that were supposed to be the most religious people in town, the most religious people in Israel. And again, externally, they were doing all the things that were right. They looked like true worshipers, but they really weren't true worshipers because God didn't have their hearts. It was a formula. It was a ritual. I want you to listen to something Jesus said to a group of these guys one day in Matthew chapter 15. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are what? Far from me. So the big issue is to make sure that we're not honoring just with our lips, but honoring God with our our hearts, with our hearts. Why did God speak of our hearts in terms of worship? Because God wants to connect with you. Let me say that tonight again. Are you hearing me? God wants to connect with you. I wish I could stand in front of each of you tonight, face to face, and just remind you that God wants to connect with you, but not just you externally. God wants to connect with your heart. God loves your heart. God wants an interaction with the heart. I'm going to give you four reasons why. And the first reason that God wants your heart and God is interested in that is because it's the most intimate and personal part of you. When you say that you had a heart-to-heart conversation with someone, 
What you're saying is the most intimate and personal connection that you could have had with an individual transpired. And your heart is where your most intimate thoughts are and your most intimate desires are. It is really who you are. You live your life from your heart. Take a look at this scripture. It reminds us of this. It is only a person's own spirit with him in him that knows all about him. There you can read the word spirit, a same word, same concept of heart. It's only a person's own heart, own heart within him that knows all about him. And so you're really you, the real you is not what you present externally. The real you is what's going on internally down inside of you. How many of you ever, don't don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you ever smile when you didn't feel like smiling? Your heart wasn't smiling, but your mouth was, okay? We could go through all kind of situations where externally we may be doing the right things or responding the right, right, right way while something else is going on in our heart. Anybody ever been nice to someone that you were really mad at? Externally you were forcing yourself to be nice, but inside you said, I hate that person. See, you're seeing the difference, okay? Even Jesus said, When he was giving the Beatitudes, he was talking about someone being condemned for committing murder. And he says, I don't want to just talk to you about murder. I want to talk to you about anger in your heart. He goes to the deeper level. And so the first thing to realize is it's the most, your heart is the most intimate and personal part of you. The second thing to know about your heart, it reflects your passions and your priorities. How do you know what you really desire in life? You go to your heart. What really turns that thing on inside of you that is passionate, that sets the priorities of your life? Jesus said it like this in Matthew, excuse me, Luke chapter 12, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you treasure is what's really going on inside of your heart. Here's the third thing that is related to your heart. And we've been talking about this in the last series that I did. I'm not going to spend much time on this, but it's the control center of your life. It's like the command center of your life. Whatever's going on in your heart will direct your life because in your heart continues, it c- c- contains your thoughts. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Uh, we, we use this concept of heart for your thoughts. It's also a word that can be used there as well. Guard your thoughts, your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And here's the last thing I want to mention in this section. If God, read it with me, if God has our heart, what does he also have? He has us. When somebody has your heart, they have you, okay? And God says, the reason I want your heart is because I want you, okay? I don't want just something external. I want you. I want a relationship with you. So Jesus says those that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. And spirit and truth is not a ritual. It's not just going to God because you have to or you'll feel guilty if you don't. You have to fulfill a certain kind of uh, routine in your life. No, God says I want to engage at the heart level with you. Matthew 26, even in Jesus' uh, life and ministry, he had to get to that place where God had, uh, he was committed to God in terms of his heart. He went away. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to face the crucifixion the next day. You've read this or heard this before. So he's in this Garden of Gethsemane. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your what? May your will be done. In that moment, he says, I'm giving you my heart. Whatever you want to do, you can do. I'm going to come back to that in just a a moment. So what kind of heart do you need? Let's take a look at some characteristics of heart. True worship requires first what kind of a heart? 
open heart. When God says, I want your heart, then you have to say, okay, now what I have to do if God's going to have my heart is I have to actually open up my heart to him. The opposite of open is closed, obviously. And I will tell you, as you go through life, you're going to have either a closed heart to God or an open heart to God. And we have different phases and seasons of life, but the key is to move toward this open heart relationship with God. And by open heart, I mean this. I'll give you another phrase that you might be familiar with, that God has total access. He has a total access to every part of your life. Nothing should be off limits in your life to God. Now, there's certain things in your life that might be off limits to people because people can abuse and, and hurt you in certain kind of ways. So you have to be wise in your relationships with people and you have to set something called boundaries, right? Anybody know what boundary is? I, I'm not going to let that person trample all over me and I need to set some rules and regulations about how I'm going to live my life. And so boundaries with people, those are very good. Again, with boundaries with people, it's, sometimes it's protective for, for, for the, the kind of things that can happen in your life, but you don't need any boundaries with God. I'll tell you why, because with God, when He has total access and there's no boundaries, you are safe, okay? You can trust your heart with God because God will never hurt you. And by having this open heart with God and total access, it means that you're really honest with God. You're not hiding stuff from Him. Do you remember... In the Garden of Eden, that as soon as Adam and Eve sinned against God, the Bible says that their, their conscience was awakened and they sewed fig leaves together because they realized they were naked and they hid from God. And God comes through the garden saying, Adam, Adam, where are you? And Adam was hiding. He was not honest with God. See, what, what a difference would have been if Adam would have just come and said, God, I really blew it. I really messed up. I need to talk to you, God, instead of hiding. And so an open heart means that, that I'm honest with God. I'm not trying to hold anything back. I'm vulnerable before God. I know that I'm safe with him, that I can share what's going on in my life. There's a trusting sense of my life that I'm welcoming God's, God's presence and God's probing in my life. There's a key word there, God's probing, because if he has access to your heart, I promise you this, he's going to probe around in your heart from time to time to check out your health, your heart health, because all of us have a physical heart condition in terms of it's either healthy or unhealthy, but you also have a spiritual heart condition as well that represents certain degrees of health in your life also. And Jesus will, will pr probe around in your life and check you out. And so here's the key. When you go home this weekend for the rest of your life as much as possible, here's what you want to do. What I want to do, what we need to do is we need to hang a big old welcome sign over our heart. Okay? To God. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. He understood this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Would that be a welcome sign? I think it is, isn't it? And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Let's take a look at the next kind of heart that you need. True worshipers require, true worship requires a, read it with me, a humble, childlike if you're going to have worship that is in spirit and in truth, you've got to have a heart that is humble and a heart that's like a child. Not childish, dish, but childlike. There's a difference. Not immature, but, but like a little child relating to the Father. Because worship, 
Here's a key definition for worship. Worship is all about God's children enjoying God's presence and God's love. That's really what worship is. It's about God's children enjoying God's, God the Father's love and presence in your life. It's not a ritual that you perform. It is a relationship that you have. And for this to happen, you have to have these two requirements of your heart. Let's talk about this one first. What is the opposite, opposite of humility? Pride again. Right in the middle of pride. So many of these biblical words, right in the middle of them, you'll find what? I, Okay. So pride puts I in the center of my life. And anytime that happens, God says, okay, you want to be in the center? I'm not going to fight with you. I'll let you be in the center until you decide that you always wreck the car every time you drive. Okay. Then as soon as you understand that you wreck the car every time you drive and you move over to the passenger seat and let me drive, then I'll do that for you. But it's not going to work until you make the decision that you want me in the driver's seat. Look at James chapter 4, verse 6. This is what happens when pride enters your life. But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor, shows grace, shows blessing. To what? To the humble. The humble says, God, I don't have anything to bring to you, anything good that I can bring to you. There's not a thing that's good inside of me. And God, I've messed up along the way, and I have some things in my life that I know that you could easily disqualify me by reason of, but Lord, I thank you that by your grace you've accepted me and your family. I come with, an, with, with nothing in my hands to bring other than your grace and mercy in my life. And humility is not just walking around feeling bad about yourself. It's realizing who you are apart from God and depending upon him. And the Bible says if you'll have that kind of an attitude, what will God bring into your life? Favor, grace, blessing that will come. So you need a humble heart, and you'll also need a, what was the other phrase I used? A childlike heart. Can I encourage you, all of us, let's cultivate humility. It's an attractive quality with God. Now let's talk about childlikeness. Jesus said this, Luke chapter 18, verse 17, truly I tell you, anyone, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Childlikeness and humility are very similar in nature. The childlike person has a trusting spirit. They're not always trying to figure everything out. If you notice about a child, they don't, all they want to know is what you say you're going to do and they trust you. They actually have a confidence in what you say unless you completely invalidate that multiple times, and then they begin to learn. They have to learn not to trust, but with a parent, a child trusts that parent. And God says, I want you to come to me with this, this humility, but also with this childlike spirit that you're not trying to figure out everything that's going on in your life and trying to figure out what I'm doing. Just trust me. Have a confidence that I'm for you and not against you, that I'm going to work in your life in some wonderful way. And I want you just to come and just love on me and delight in me and trust that I'm going to do everything I, I, I say that I'm going to do in your life. And God says, that's the kind of heart that I'm looking for. I'm looking for an open heart heart, that you're not hiding stuff, that you're not trying to push me away or close your life off to me. You have an open book. There's a welcome sign over your heart, and then you're, you're humble. You're living in a spirit of contriteness and humility and confidence in God as well as a child would in trusting a good father. Here's the third or the, you know, third, or the fourth element of this as we're continuing this idea tonight. True worship, what else does it require? A surrendered heart. 
Boy, this is big, isn't it? A surrendered heart, what does that mean? Hmm. A surrendered heart means that, let's, go, let's kind of track this. I've opened my heart to God. God might, there's a big old welcome sign here that you have access to my heart. And God, I'm going to humble myself before you. I'm not, I know I have nothing apart from you. I'm trusting in your grace to even have any benefits from you. I don't bring anything of value. You're God and I'm not. So I'm, I've humbled myself. I, I'm going to approach you as a child, Lord. I'm trusting you. I'm not trying to figure everything out. I'm just put, having confidence in whatever promises you have for my life. And then there comes to this point where God begins to do some things in your heart and call you to some action points in your life. You ever had God show up and said, I want you to change this? Come on, help me out, are you? Or I don't like how you're doing that. It's one thing to say you're welcome, but it's another thing to respond when he starts talking to you. When God begins to deal with things in your life, you have the choice of saying yes or no. And it's always better to say yes. I would highly recommend that saying no to God is not wise, okay? (laughs) Highly recommend that, okay? I've tried it, okay? Many of you have tried that before, okay? Saying no to God is not a good thing. It's always better to say yes to God, and that's called surrender. I want to give you an example in the Bible of a man who really missed it. He missed his great destiny because he didn't get this point down. And the man's name is King Saul. And the story is found in the Old Testament. He was the very first king of Israel. And it was a critical time in Israel's history. I'll give you a little bit of background here. Israel was face, facing a group of people called the Amalekites. And the Amalekites were a wicked group of people. They were filled with idolatry and they were influencing Israel to worship other gods. I mean, it was just an absolutely corrupt society. And so God said, I want you just to wipe the Amalekites out. It's time for the, my judgment is upon them. And so through Samuel the prophet... God spoke to King Saul and said, go and destroy everything related to the Amalekites. Here's the instruction, okay? Here it is right here. 1 Samuel 15, verse 3. Samuel's words of God to Saul, King Saul. Now go and, what's this next word? Completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. I don't have time to go into the theological elements of this, but there, there was a reason for this, okay? It's not like God is a mean, terrible God up in heaven trying to kill people. No, that's not it at all. There was a significant reason for it, and it had to do with the influence they were having on so many people in a negative way, including his own nation. So here, just kind of hold on, just let that be an understanding of that part of the story. But what did God tell Saul to do? To do what? What words did I just underline there? Completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. So is that pretty clear? Would you say, yes, sir, got it, right? I mean, there's not like, not any ambiguity to that as far as I can tell, right? It's pretty clear. It's hard to kind of misunderstand that, right? Completely destroy. Let's see what happens next in the story. Saul, so they go out and have the battle, but Saul and his men spared Agag, that was the king of Am- uh, uh, Amalek, spared Agag's life and kept, what did he do? He kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. So let's go back again, okay? 
Saul, Saul here, here's what I want you to do. You know that group of people called the Amalekites? I want you to go out there and completely destroy them. I got a reason for it. Go do it. Clear instructions. Okay. Saul goes out, and instead of doing so, he keeps the king. Doesn't take his life. This is kind of funny. It really is. I want you to see what Saul said, okay? Let's take a look now. Here's his explanation. Samuel comes to him and says, why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. Duh. Anybody ever said that to God? Yeah, well, I did what you wanted me to do. I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agab, but I destroyed everyone else. Hey, God, you, you know, I, I, I made some decisions on my own here. I decided that maybe you really didn't mean that, and so I, I decided to make some decisions on my own, and then my troops, my troops, he has nothing. I, did, I had no responsibility for this. My troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice. Notice this. Now he's saying the whole reason I did this, God, is because I wanted to give them to you. To sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Are you seeing that this is getting worse, okay? I mean, he's digging a hole and it's getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Notice what happens next. Now, Samuel comes back and makes a correction to his thinking, but he also gives us a principle as well. So Saul's last words were, hey, I, I, I just kept everything because I wanted to bring a sacrifice to God. I know what you said, God, but I thought, hey, this would be great to get all these goats and bulls and stuff. I could use them for God's glory. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion, now suddenly he's introduced a new word here, rebellion, because in fact that was what was going on with Saul. Rebellion is as sinful as, a witch, as witchcraft and stubbornness. Oh my goodness, now we've gotten into another word here that requires another whole message, right? And stubbornness as bad as worshiping. What are we talking about this weekend? We're talking about worshiping, right? What you've done, you've actually set up an idol as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, what has he done? He's rejected you as king. What you need to see here is that Saul's issue was an issue of surrender. Let's think with me because this is not a fancy sermon tonight. This is, I want to help us all grow, okay? This is about what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. What does it mean? Jesus said the Father's looking for people who worship in spirit and truth. I, I'd like to be in that number. How about you? Okay. I want to be the one the Father's looking for. So what does that mean? It means that I've got to have an open heart with God. I've got to say, God, there's no, there's no place in my life that I'm trying to hold back from you, whatever you want to work on in me. I've got a big old welcome sign over my heart. I'm giving you total access. And God, I'm going to approach you with a humble heart. I'm trying to get the pride and arrogance out of my life. And I just want to have a childlike spirit that I'm going to trust whatever you do in my life. But then I got to take the next step that when God begins to deal with stuff in me, right? And he wants to deal with stuff in you too. Amen? There's stuff in you and me that are things that are broken, things that are cancerous, 
things that are toxic inside of us, things that are poisonous inside of every one of us. There are areas of our life where we are far away from being like Jesus. Would you agree with that? We all have areas of our life. We're far away from being everything that Jesus wants us to be. And so when he steps in to our world and says, I'm going to start working on those things. I want, to, I want you to respond to me this way. All those other things can be negated if we don't add surrender to it. Amen? And not like Saul and say no, but instead like Jesus we talked about a moment ago in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, yes to God, according to your will, may it be done to me. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.